G'day and thank you for tuning in to the Outpost Church podcast. We are in a season of prayer and fasting as a church. We have 25 days where we're having a morning prayer meeting every day. We're also encouraging people to consider what they will say no to in order to say a bigger yes to Jesus in this season. So some are fasting from food, others are fasting uh, social media and TV and other bits and pieces. But the purpose is that we want to clear some clutter away from our lives. We want to free ourselves up in order to be able to hear God more clearly, but also to be able to obey Him more fully. And I encourage you to consider what you might do in joining with us. So our prayer meetings are uh, at the church every morning from 7am, but also available to to tune in uh, via Zoom. And we are pressing into the things of the Holy Spirit. We are leading up to a, a camp at the end of October, we are looking forward to meeting together uh, with that sense of expectation for what God is going to do in us and then through us. And I hope that you find this message encouraging as we continue to push into the things of the Spirit. God bless you. Yeah, so I've just loved seeing it throughout this um, 25 days of prayer and fasting, the way that um, yeah, one, we've embraced as a church, but mostly just the way that it's changing the way that we think and feel and then ultimately like the way that we're acting as well because that's yeah, what we're really striving for as we're pressing into the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so today, as Christy actually mentioned as well, we are going to be looking through um, some passages in the book of Acts. So there's some Bibles scattered around if you wanted to um, get your hands on one or if you've got it on your phone or whatever. Um, yeah, we'll be looking through the book of Acts. So the context for the church that we'll be looking at today is in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, it says, So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So that was in Acts chapter 9. So if you guys have it open to the end of Acts chapter 9, you'll be able to find where we're going pretty easily. Thanks, Noah. Yeah, so we see there that this church, that they were living in the fear of the Lord and they were encouraged by the Holy Spirit and it was causing them to grow. So I wanted to just quickly... We're going to be focusing on the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, but I wanted to quickly just touch on the fear of the Lord because for me, that's been like a tricky concept to get my head around growing up. Like we're told, you know, like perfect love casts out fear. The amount of times that the Lord says, do not be afraid or, you know, we didn't give you a spirit of fear and timidity, timidity, but power, love and a sound mind. So like, what is this fear of the Lord business? <laughs> like what? Like, is it just an Old Testament thing? Is it, is it even a good thing? Is it what we're supposed to be doing? So, yeah, I heard a helpful description of it. And there's this principle that many theologians use. It's called the, the law of first mention. So what that is, is pretty much the first time a topic or a theme is mentioned in the Bible is a good place to start if you want to sort of have 
a good foundation for understanding what that topic is. So, like, for example, with this one, the fear of the Lord, does anyone know the first time that was mentioned in the Scriptures? Off the top of your head. Genesis, good one, Dave. <laughs> Take a step. Yeah. Yeah, so as far as I know from this um, description, it was Genesis chapter 22. Yeah. <laughs> Don't have lollies this week, but next time, mate. So Genesis 22, it's the story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac when the Lord says to him, like, this is his like promised son, which is going to carry out the promise that God has given him. And he says, I want you to take him to this land and sacrifice him on this mountain. And so Abraham does it. He does the whole thing. He's got the wood, sets up the altar, straps his son down to the altar, grabs the knife and he's ready to go. But the angel of the Lord speaks to him in that moment. And he says... Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to harm him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from him. So you think about that, like Abraham, he's like over 100 years old at this point. Isaac is literally his whole life. Like if there was any, the biggest thing Abraham could give up, could sacrifice, was Isaac. And that's what the Lord asked him to do. And the Lord says, I know that you fear me because you did not withhold anything from me. So that's the context of this church in Acts, that they're living in that place. They're not withholding anything from him. And it's a challenging sort of formula for church growth. Like if you think about it, like it's not about great coffee, even though we've got great coffee. It's not about superstar pastors, even though we've got them. It's not about like comfy seats like the most welcoming place. It's not about that. It's, it's at the crux. Of, yeah, all the best music. <laughs> exactly. The amount of times I've heard about, oh, I've had the best encounters in worship with just a dude playing a guitar. Like, it's not about that. It's about living in the fear of the Lord. And today, the part we're focusing on, the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so if you haven't already, Acts chapter 9 is where we're looking. So who here has ever washed dishes before? <laughs> Probably everyone. Ernie's an expert. My mum would say I don't know too much about it until I started working. <laughs> and she's right. But I remember when I was working at Blessed Cheese, I had this thought as I was washing dishes about just like how the Holy Spirit can work. And... Yeah, I'll, I'm going to try and paint the picture so that you can understand the way my brain works. So tell me, is it easier to wash dishes with cold water or hot water? Hot, hot correct. <laughs> Good, so we're on the same page at the moment. So when you're washing dishes, if you're using cold water, like you can, it'll still work, right? Like it just takes a little bit more time and it's not quite as effective. But as soon as you start doing with hot water, how much more effective is it? How much easier is it? And so it's actually the same with us as the church when we involve the Holy Spirit and allow him to encourage us. So like even just some basic examples, like imagine um, yeah, you've got the basic principles of Scripture, like love people well, like preach the gospel, you know, care for widows, those sort of things. Like we're doing those, right? And you would see fruit over time with that and it would, would be good. But then imagine the same scenario, but maybe you've prayed beforehand or you're praying during it and the Holy Spirit, he's actually given you a word of knowledge for that person or he's given you some profound wisdom to share with that person. 
or he's given you insight into their specific situation. Like I'm sure a majority of us here would have had times where you knew that God saw you because there was something super specific that couldn't have happened unless God was involved. As opposed to, the, like the gospel is amazing. I'm not saying it's not. But like, yeah, if you just hear the gospel, maybe it doesn't impact you the same way compared to knowing that God sees you because that person is in tune with the Holy Spirit. So does that make sense? Hot water, <laughs> so much more effective, so much better. You can spend 10 minutes scrubbing a pot with cold water, but you add some hot water in there and in the grime, it just comes straight off. <laughs> so I remember a time when I was working at the same place and I was working with a girl when she was already a Christian, but from like, yeah, just from, I suppose, my assessment, like she wasn't on fire at that time. And, and I like... Yeah, if you know me, you know I love talking about Jesus with people and I love having as many spiritual conversations as possible. And so I was just sitting there doing um, polishing cutlery and I was just praying like, Lord, what do you want me to say to this person so that we can start, so I can encourage her and we can start talking about Jesus? So just have a moment. What do you think the Lord might have said to me if you had to just talk to someone about Jesus? Like what's some things that come to mind? Yeah, don't need a reply. What was that? She need more hot water. <laughs> I needed hot water for the cutlery. <laughs> you know, so like a few examples, I could ask her like, "How's church going?" I could ask her, like, "What have you been reading lately?" Or something that I've probably asked majority of you, like, "How did you meet Jesus?" Like, these are the kind of questions I'd normally go to, and they're like. They're good. They bring, obviously bring the conversation straight around to God and like sort of how they're going with it. But when we involve God in those times, like they can just be so much more profound than just that. And so what I actually felt the Lord say to me when I asked him that was, ask her if she loves me. So I was like, I was not expecting that and I wasn't sure how she was going to respond to it. But I just like went for it and said, like, do you love God? Like, I didn't want to, I wasn't accused, like, I wasn't accusing her or anything, but I said, yeah, do you love God? And her response to me was like, yeah, like, it struck a nerve, obviously, for her. Like, she was pretty stern. She's like, of course I do. Like, I wouldn't be able to get here. I wouldn't have gotten through the things I've been through if it wasn't for him. And, like, the conversation continued. But, like, that's just, like, one example of, like, when we involve God in just, like, simple conversations, the way that it can be more profound and, yeah, more effective. And she actually told me, like, months later that, like, she really appreciated those, like, random questions that I would ask her. Because often, like, she wouldn't give me too much of a response in the moment. But then, like, she told me, like, I'd actually just go off and ponder it for, like, the rest of the day. So, yeah, I encourage us, like, in our workplaces, when you're doing mundane things, just, like, ask the Lord, what do you want to say to this person? Like, what do you want to do in this moment? So, yeah, I was reading through Acts from chapter 9 through to 13 and just, like, asking the Lord, what do you want me to preach on? What's, yeah, what's the sort of passage you want me to look at? And I was expecting something to jump out and... As I was going through, I just kept seeing this phrase come out and it was the phrase, get up. So remember that, we'll be hearing a fair bit of it today, get up. 
So it's like this Greek word, it's like anistemi. I don't know how you actually pronounce it, but it pretty much just means to like arise or get up. So like, and with the sort of connotation of like arise or get up with like, and prepare for like action, prepare for what's next. And so, yeah, we'll be going through some passages. I've picked out four and in each one of them, there's that phrase, get up. So the first one is, yeah, Acts chapter 9, verse 32 to 34. As Peter was travelling from place to place, he also came down to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralysed and had been bedridden for eight years. Eight years bedridden. Just take a moment and picture what were you doing eight years ago. So 2014, Hawthorne won the premiership. I was in year 11. Like from that point until now, that's how long this dude was bedridden and paralysed. I don't know about you, but if if something's been a certain way for eight years, you've probably given up hope of that thing changing. You're probably not expecting it to change. But our God loves flipping the script. Like he's not intimidated, no matter the scenario, how, how hopeless or drastic it is, he's not intimidated or afraid to come in there and totally flip it on its head. So in comes Peter. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. So all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So you just think about that. Before this moment, this bloke, eight years as we've spoken about, he's there, he's hopeless, and he's just in bondage. But then post this get up moment, when God gets involved, like one brings full restoration to this guy, his life's changed forever. Not only that, all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Like when God gets involved, when we allow him to encourage us, it can actually change a full region. So we'll continue reading on the next passage, 36 to the end of the chapter. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. She was always doing good works and acts of charity. About that time, she became sick and died. After washing her, they placed her in a room upstairs. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him who urged him, don't delay in coming with us. Peter got up and went with them. And when he arrived, they led him to the room upstairs. All the widows approached him, weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. He knelt down, prayed, and turning toward the body, said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter and sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her stand up. He called the saints and widows and presented her alive. And this became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed there for some time in Joppa with Simon, a leather tanner. So a couple of points from that passage I wanted to bring out was, the first one, just like Peter was like so interruptible. Like some people believe that like 
when Jesus said, on this rock, I'll build my church. Like, Peter was that dude. So, yeah, either either way, he's an important guy. He's a pretty busy guy. But as soon as these disciples came to him and said, we've got, like, we need your help. Can you help us? He just drops everything and goes straight away. And I don't know about you, but the amount of times that I'm driving around and someone's got their hazard lights on the side of the road and you just think, oh, I probably should pull over and help him or see what's going on. And then... I just choose, actually, yeah, I'm going to choose myself and I just sometimes just keep cruising on. Like, how often does that happen for us? Like, I want to be someone who's more interruptible like Peter was. Secondly, like, can we just stop for a second and realise someone was just raised from the dead? <laughs> like, like, I remember Shane telling me about this. Shane knows the story better, but I'll just talk it as, like, there's this kid that was in kids' church at Seeds and he was just hearing like the gospel for like, sounds like the first time. And when they got to the point when Jesus was raised from the dead, this kid just like fully gobsmacked. Like, because he, he'd never heard it before. And he's like, what the heck? Someone got raised from the dead? Like, and for us, it's something that does become familiar because we hear it so often, the resurrection, like, and it's like, yeah, it's no longer like causing us to sort of be in awe of what just happened. But like, someone was raised from the dead. And you know, we we sometimes fall into the trap as well of thinking that when Jesus did things, like, it was because he was God and he was the son of God. And so the things that Jesus did, I can't be expected to do because that was Jesus, right? So Jesus resurrected people. But Peter is not Jesus. And God worked through a man that wasn't Jesus and raised the dead. So I want to just, yeah, just dream with me for a moment. Like, take the ceiling off what you think God can do in your life and just try to receive and even give him an opportunity to just walk you on that path. Like, I'm, I pray that he doesn't drop someone dead right in front of you that you then need to do that. But, like, <laughs> yeah, just take the ceiling off of what God can do with your life, not just us as a church, but, like, you as a person. What can God do in your life? So come back to that invitation. Get up. Like, what does God want to do in your life? The next one, chapter 10. It's a big passage, so I'm just going to sort of speak it out as best as I can. So, yeah, there's this guy named Cornelius. He's a, he's a centurion in the Italian regiment. He's a Gentile, and I don't know how, but he's got this... Um, understanding of God and he prays and he gets a vision from God and these angels come to him and say there's this bloke named Peter in the town near you you need to send and go and get him because he's got things to tell you and so Cornelius sends these guys off to Peter and so meanwhile Peter's in Joppa and he's just up on the roof says that he's hungry it's like in the afternoon and he just falls into this trance and he sees this vision of this um like this sheep coming down from heaven and it's got these unclean animals on there, like these animals that for a a Hebrew man, like that's unclean. And he hears a voice and it says, get up, kill and eat. So Peter, track record, denies it. And then it happens again. And again he denies it and it happens again and again he denies it. And the Lord says, 
what I have called clean, do not call impure. And so Peter, he's, just, he's pondering that vision. And I love like, in Second Timothy, it says that like, consider what I say and the Lord will give you understanding. Like Peter is like literally doing that right now. He's thinking about that vision because he doesn't understand it. And the Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, get up and go downstairs and go with them with no doubts at all because I have sent them. And so that's when those guys from Cornelius rock up and Peter just, just even though that would feel so unnatural for him to walk off with a bunch of Gentiles, the Lord in his kindness has just said, mate, this is like my plan. You can be sure about it. Just go for it. And so, yeah, the rest of the story goes off. Um, yeah, shares the gospel with them. And as he's speaking, the Holy Spirit encounters these guys. And Peter's like, well, if the Holy Spirit's baptised them, I'm pretty sure they're ready to be baptised in water. And then that's what happens. But the main point that I wanted to pull out of this one is that sometimes the Lord's going to ask us to do things that do feel unnatural. Like for this guy, he says, like, I'm not touching those animals. I've never, I've never done that and I'm not going to. But the Lord persists with him and calls him to do something that is unnatural and uncomfortable. But then, like I said, in the Lord's kindness, he's so good. He doesn't just ask us to do something radical and then off you go, mate. He's like, he wants us to cooperate with him. He wants us to go with him and he's promised to be with us as we're doing these kind of things. Thanks, Margot. And then, yeah, we'll move on to our... Our last passage. So, yeah, if you flip over Acts chapter 12, I'm going to share through this one as well. So, Herod, who's the king at the time, he's getting fed up with how the church is going and he decides that he's going to kill James. And so he kills James and then he's like, oh, the Jews actually liked that. So I'm going to go again. I'm going to go for the big dog. I'm going to take Peter out. So he, take, he gets Peter, arrests him, puts guards around him and the church says that the church was praying fervently to God for him. And so Peter's in jail, he's snoozing and an angel comes into the room. Light, light fills the room and it says he strikes him on his side and he says, quick, get up. And the chains instantly fall off his wrists, tells him to get dressed and all that. And just walks him straight out of a prison. It says earlier that that Herod had actually set up four sets of guards. So even if they're on rotation, four sets of four, even if they're on rotation, there's four blokes that God has just delivered Peter through and walked him straight out. And then the story gets questionably weirder. He, the angel leaves him, he's out on the street and he goes to like, I guess the local church, the people, the Christians he knows in the town, he knocks on the door Someone hears that it's Peter's voice and it's like, instead of letting him in, runs back inside and just like tells the rest of them, hey, Peter's at the door. <laughs> and then how weird of a church culture do you need to be like, rather than assuming, or maybe Peter is actually the door, you're just like, oh, it's probably just his angel. Because that's how the story goes. It's like, yeah, it's probably not Peter. It's more likely to be his angel. And then, yeah, they eventually let him in. Peter tells them all about that. The points I wanted to pull out of this one is that our prayers and God, he, 
although he is spiritual, like he is 100% ready to impact the like natural realm, like the physical space. Like he didn't just change his heart, he actually set him physically free from a place that he was in bondage. And secondly, and more importantly, is like that there is freedom available for you. Like in your life right now, there is freedom available. And there's freedom for those that you care about. Like it says that Jesus, that it was for freedom that Christ set you free. So like his motive was like so that you would be free. Like I don't know that all the all the scroll, but it, when he opens that scroll of Isaiah and he's like, part of it is like the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's to set the captives free. Like that is part of his mission. And we are the extension of his mission now. So I wanted to invite yeah the worship team back up. And <laughs> not yet. I'll tell you to get up in a sec. Thanks for spoiling it. <laughs> yeah, as I do want to invite the rest of us now to get up. <laughs> and yeah, so I'll be up. <laughs> I felt this word, it was like I felt this that it wasn't it was by no means at all a rebuke or a kick in the bum as in like get up and hurry up it was not like that at all it was simply an invitation to see more of him in our lives like how can we involve this this get up sort of thing into our life how can we let the holy spirit encourage us so i want us to take a moment right now to just quietly for yourself with yourself to the lord just be like lord how what do you want me to do how do you want me to get up? You know, it might be that he's asking you to flick a text to someone you know. Um, it might be a specific word or it might just simply be encouragement or like telling them that you love them. You know, it might be that he wants you to pray with someone right now or, you know, afterwards. Or it might be that he actually wants you, because he sees you, he wants you to go and ask prayer for, like, for yourself from someone else. You know, I want us and I want myself to be a person that when the Lord says get up, that I'm like, how high? <laughs> like, you know that sort of saying? Like, when I say jump, you don't ask why, you say how high. Like, when the Lord asks us to get up, I want to be someone who gets up and just is obedient. So let's just take a moment now for, and as we get back into worship, to just ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to speak to? What do you want me to say? So, Father, I just thank you that your heart is for us to be free and for humanity to be free, free to be in relationship with you, unhindered by anything, physical or spiritual or mental, whatever it is, Lord, you want freedom. And that's why you came. That's why you sent your spirit after you left. And that's what you want us to be ministering to those around us. We love you, Lord.